As we wrap up our mini-series here in Ephesians, looking at the family, we do so taking a look at the one who is over all the family, Jesus, next on Truth For Today. To quote Bob Dylan, you've got to serve somebody. There is hierarchy. God's designed it that way. Children, subservient to their parents, husbands to wives. But over it all is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hi there, and welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. We're continuing our series on the family here in Ephesians with a final look at living with Christ as master. Won't you join us here in Ephesians chapter 5 with today's broadcast of Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church in Hercules, Pastor Phil Howard. Peter says to the elders, exercising your ministry without lording it over the flock, rather feed them, care for them, but don't lord it over them. Intercede for them. So if I obey God, you people keep me praying all the time because you need so much and you're so weak and you're so messed up, a lot like your pastors, weak people that need God's help, God's grace, God's understanding, God's long suffering. None of you going to get to heaven without God hadn't put up with a whole lot. He's been wasting, it seemed like, years on some of you just to get you to cooperate. But he is a patient God, long-suffering and kind, is he not? Well, thought you needed that. Talking about these slaves here, it said, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. That would change all of us. And it must be in our mind, whatever we're doing, if God is not pleased and the motivation, you can justify just about any kind of work ethic or any attitude, but not when he's looking on, when that's the North Star of your soul. Uh, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Now, th there's the motivation. Do it as unto the Lord. And then know that, believe it or not, if I understand this verse right, God is going to review everybody's work attitude when they come before the judgment seat of Christ. That part of your work life will be evaluated by him. Now look, the average person on a job, you have to give 40 hours a week to sustain your needs. Take care of your family, pay your bills. Now, you could say, man, I sure wish I was free to do God's work. Did you know what he's saying here? Your 40 hours on the job is a part of God's work. God's in the workplace with you. Whether you own the company or whether you work for the company. And that it's going to come up to the judgment seat of Christ. And you think he's going to just evaluate uh, what you did in the church and what Sunday school classes you taught or if you preached, if you're a missionary, if you were this and that. And God says, oh, it's something that I have recorded all these years about you. And that is your work attitude. And, your, and the way you treated 
those you were either a slave to or that you worked for. I notice here you uh, stole this much time. You stole this many things. You thought this was your property because you were such a hard worker and you took unsolicited bonuses on your own called tools home. You just put them in your lunch bucket. They weren't yours, but you stole them. You always came in late. You always did. I noticed that. Uh, and it says here, the Lord will reward Colossians is negative. On the negative side, he will do it. Let's look at that. Don't let me say it for Paul. Look at what it says. Verse 25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favoritism. So how you get paid, I don't know if he just turns to wood, hay, and stubble there. But I, it just doesn't seem like God ought to bring your workplace up to the judgment seat of Christ. That ought to be left alone. And all those who agree said, and all of you that wrote the Bible said, God says your work ethic, your work attitude, and the way you respond to those over you in life is going to come at the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to evaluate you. You're going to lose great reward and great credibility. Let me say some things before we pick on the, the boss. People can easily be dehumanized by work conditions. Much of this is going on in the two-thirds world. I think of uh, the foxes and Carol and I were in Morocco. It was either Fez or Magnez. And they showed us these little girls that make these carpets, these beautiful carpets we see. Well, they elicit these young girls. I'm talking about girls under five, maybe six years of age, because they've got these tiny fingers doing all of these, this weaving all day. They don't go to school. They just weave all day. Stay there. They're born to make a profit for their fathers, for whoever is over them. And a dehumanizing thing from my perspective. Their little minds can never be developed. Their talents at anything else could ever be. They're nothing but cheap child labor without any rights, without any negotiation, without any privileges. They're just slaves on a family level that they've got to do that. It's terrible to have inhumane work conditions. Let me say some things. Our jobs and roles in society do not determine who we are. In God's mind, the hierarchy doesn't exist. In other words, if you're over here a slave or the master, in God's sight, both do significant work. Both are significant. Whether you're way down here, I think in our culture, when all the Midwesterners came to California, they did all the jobs that all the prune pickers didn't want to do. Harvest the crops. All the Okies and the Arkies. And all the white trash, as they were called. And all the freeloaders. We don't want you out-of-staters here. And they did all the stuff that we didn't want, want to touch. And as this changed, much Mexican labor, Filipino labor, many times are doing those jobs. Let me tell you, in the sight of God, this point of labor is significant and has worth in God's sight as much as if you owned the company. Because 
God is fair. And we judge them by where they are. But God said, no, this is significant. A man or woman that will work, I don't care if you're doing a landscaper or if you're a biochemist. A lot of difference in the hierarchy of by training and pay, but you are more valuable than what you work at. We as believers live to, for, and because of Christ. And no matter whether we're a garbage collector or an artist, we want to be the best garbage collector and the best artist because we've got higher motivation. We're working for the boss of the universe, our real master. Our identity should not depend on our job or our circumstances, but on who we really belong to, Jesus Christ. Everything we do involves a testimony for Christ. He is the recipient and origin of our work ethic. And all we want to do good work. We want to do excellent work. We want to be diligent. We don't want to be sloppy at what we do because we reflect that one we call Lord and Savior. We want to be the best we can at whatever we do. No person is unimportant and no deed or job is insignificant when done to the glory of God. And I'm going to say this. If you work for a Christian brother or sister, do what 1 Timothy says. Really work good for them. Don't take advantage of them and start saying they're not treating me good as a brother. You go in there saying, I'm going to treat them good as a brother. Don't start all this blame. And I hear among Christians, well, I work for a Christian boss and he's not real good and all this. Well, what are you like? Have you been evaluated? Well, he shouldn't do that. I'm a Christian. Well, wait, it doesn't, it got, it's got to go both ways. Because we're Christians is no escape from doing good work. And you folks ain't amen in anything, are you? You're just totally guilty. I could tell it. You're not going to show your hand. Uh, and I'd say this about in the church. Paul used a word when he talked about church work. You know the word he used? I know you'll love it. It's copios. Almost we get the word copious. But it's K-O-P-I-O-U-S. And he told the elder that preached and taught the word, he should work to the point of copios. That means mental exhaustion. He said of the church of Ephesus, Jesus commended them when he evaluated them in 90 AD. He said, Ephesus, you work hard. You copios. You work to the point of exertion and exhaustion. I knew a pastor. He said, we hire staff this way. We hire them and pay them for 40 hours, but we expect 60 or we fire them. And he meant it. And he had a large church and he was driven the same way. I've seen lazy church workers and I've seen underpaid church workers. I've seen people that put in 70 hours a week for 200 bucks. And I've seen some people I didn't know what they did. Rich Rowland has a great line, he says, of the foreman that called in the workers. says, we're not here to discuss your work. We're here to discover it. They say of that Scottish pastor that during the week he was invisible and on Sunday he was incomprehensible. When it comes to church work, I want to say it's no place for lazy people. There's no reward for being lazy. The saints aren't obligated to underwrite lazy people. The sooner we get rid of them, the better. 
It is a truth. I've been on mission fields where I want to ask. We're here to discover what you do. What do you do? And there must be a work ethic. There must be a work ethic. It dishonors Christ to freeload at any level. Even the greatest preacher that's ever existed, in my opinion, says when we came among you, we worked with our own hands so as not to be a burden to you Corinthians. So you have no reward in us because you would not support us. With these own hands we worked that we might not be a burden. When the greatest preacher among us was bivocational and worked with leather and made tents that he might get the gospel out, there is a driven man with, with a work ethic that I'm not preaching because I'm too lazy to work. My father warned us. He warned us. Don't preach if you're too lazy to work. If you're lazy, God forbid you go in the ministry. You want dignity tied to it. Well, how the masters ought to behave. I've got 15 minutes to pick on the employer and masters. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Uh, now, what does that mean? He's reaching back and he's saying, as I've told the slaves to work with integrity, with sincerity, with goodwill, and with all their heart, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to work with goodwill in your heart. I want you to work with sincerity towards these people. I want you to be as ethical, as sincere, and as aware of Jesus Christ in your treatment of them as they are to respect you. A great test of anyone's character is to be afforded authority over others. And the test is how that authority is displayed. It's a great compliment, but don't get too carried away if you've been given a promotion. He told Nebuchadnezzar, God sets up the basis of men to be kings. Even Saddam Hussein. So just because you're up here doesn't mean you're the greatest. It's just you've been afforded a promotion. You might be the basis. It's the way we use that authority that really reveals our character. He tells them, do not threaten your slaves. Do not threaten them. Uh, it was a common thing at this time to threaten the slaves. That way you would get more labor out of them, more work. And these were the kinds of threats they would do. They would threaten to beat them, of course, always doing that. Uh, they would threaten sexual harassment of female slaves who had no rights. Uh, one of the threats they used on the men commonly, and I'm taking out of literature of this era, is uh, they would always threaten the men that were going to sell you to another household so you'll have to be separated from your wife and children. So just to go to work every day and the slaves would be threatened with a beating, uh, threatened if, if it was a woman with being sexually used, uh, if it was a man with a wife and children, uh, we're going to sell you off to another dealer. We want to get rid of you. To live under that pressure all the time. Says, Do not use threatenings on them for gain for psychological advantage. Don't be intimidating. Don't be threatening. Don't use your authority that way. It's a terrible use of authority. And it was common 
in that culture. So he says, do not do that. Uh, then he says, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. What a marvelous thing. You Christian masters, be as kind and as motivated to serve Jesus Christ with kindness as you want God to treat you. You know, I had a pleasant experience yesterday, a providential one. A guy came to my door and I was writing out bills and didn't want to be bothered, but I got a window that just sees people as they walk up. So I saw this guy, I knew he was selling something. I, said, I don't need this. I, I shouldn't even go to the door. I don't want to go to the door. But some way or another, spirituality kicked in. And uh, uh, I, I went to the door. This guy is standing in front of me. He's drenched because in those downpours, he got caught in it. His pants are wet. And I'm thinking, man, I don't need this guy in the house. And sure enough, he was selling. And uh, so I want to get rid of him. He's doing the spiel and he's going as quick as he could. And, and everything. I just said, wait, wait. I said, son, are you cold? He said, I'm drenched. I said, would, would you like, would you like something? You're thirsty? You want to sit down? You want to get out of the rain? Well, no, I, I want to sell this product. I know that. I'll put up with the spill later. Would you like? All right, come in there. He goes on this spill that I wasn't interested in. I think we're going to buy. That really shows I'm a sap, but I needed it. <laughs> and, and, and so I'm there talking and, and all of a sudden, and what do you do? I, said, I tell people like you how to go to heaven. Uh, would you, have you ever heard of heaven? No, oh, yeah. And everything. Start witnessing to him. And he, he said, well, I, I used to go to church. Oh, good. Where? 20-year-old boy. Where'd you go to church? He said, I used to go to church full gospel. I said, where? He said, in Concord. I said, well, my wife's uncle was the pastor there for years. Nick Cox. He said, do you know Chipper G? I said, that's my wife's cousin. He said, he came to every school I ever went to trying to reach me with Christ. He said, I got on drugs young. He said, I've always wanted to make money. I became a drug dealer. I got busted. No, no, he said, I've never been busted. But he said, I was into drugs and I've been into this and I've been into that. I'm trying to go straight. I want to do the right, but I don't know God. And uh, I, I was telling him to read certain passages because he said he was you know, a Christian. He said, I've never heard of that. I said, well, you want to read this? This is in Isaiah, and this is here. And then after a while, I said, you know what? I, I've never owned a Bible. I said, wait here. Went downstairs and got him a Bible. You know what? I didn't owe him any time. I didn't owe him sitting down, getting my chair wet. I didn't owe him a glass of water. I didn't owe him anything. But it's a wonderful thing when God makes people more important than what they do. 30 minutes interruption, I got to tell him the love of God and hear his story of a broken home, of drugs, of sin, of chaos, of pain. And I got to tell him the way home if he wants a savior. But you'll have to think they're worth it. And I'm not sure I started out. I know a human being's worth it. But my schedule, I still got the bills paid. And this boy just interrupted the best part of the day. 
was telling this boy about heaven and Jesus. But I had to set down that blasted pen and wait to write another check. And it's an amazing thing whether you're a slave or a master. When you are under the control of the Spirit, God will elevate the worth of people more than your money, more than your checks, more than your schedule. Nobody's going to ever hear this message if we don't think people are more important than the busy lives we don't want to interrupt. You will have to get into some inconvenience if you ever take time for a human being. Stories told by uh, J. Hudson Taylor that as he's going up the Yanzies River, as he was going up that river, uh, going to one of the mission stations he'd planted, he noticed some Chinese in a skiff, and all of a sudden a man fell overboard. And the people on the uh, vessel that Taylor was on, they begin to yell, save him, save him. And the men begin to barter. How much? How much? Nobody came up with a price. And all of a sudden the men said, too inconvenient. And he drowned in front of all of them. They couldn't get their price. Just too inconvenient to save a man. Whether he's a slave, a master, a black, a white, a yellow, a brown, the love of God elevates people to having worth, the kind of worth that would make God die for them. And once we capture that, we cannot intentionally dehumanize anyone from a child to an elderly saint has lost all earthly beauty. Mother Brand, when she worked in India, she got so old as a missionary doctor there that she said she broke up all of her mirrors in the last 10 years of her life. She said, a woman that's become as homely and as drawn as me no longer needs a mirror. But she stayed on to work at the medical facility. Let us end. Jesus Christ became a slave to the will of God. And he says, we are to live like slaves of Christ. Now, I find that's very interesting because there's verses like Galatians 4 that says we're not slaves, we're sons. He redeemed us out from underneath the law where we treat it like slaves. So on one side, we must know we are sons by relationship with God. And yet, and the end of the New Testament, the same men that wrote those truths would address their letters, Paul, a slave by the will of God. Peter, a slave by the will of God. Jude, a half-brother of Jesus and a slave of Jesus. They used the term knowing full right they were sons. What were they saying? I believe they were saying they understood the love-slave concept of the Old Testament I have found a master in Jesus that's never treated me better or more wonderful. And I want to commit the rest of my life serving such a master. For in his household, I've been freed from the chains of my sin. He found me in the chains of sin. He said, he who practices sin is the slave of sin. John 8, 36. He came and liberated me from the slavery to sin. Every man and woman is born a slave to sin. You can't shake the shackles. You can't get the chains off. And Christ steps into your tomb and says, let a quickening light shine as a Wesley road. And my chains fell off. I rose up. I walked out. I was free. And can it be that thou, my God, should love me? 
You were a slave and you are a slave of sin today. And with no rights, the only wages you'll be paid is death. The wages of sin is death. And Romans 6 says, I beg of you Christians, as you were slaves to unrighteousness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness. Pastor Phil Howard here in our series, God's Design for Life. Getting a clue, an understanding, an idea of just how much God really loves us and the design that he has for your life and mine. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. And as we conclude our time together today, we're mindful of the fact that there might be those of you who would enjoy hearing this program again. As always, we have copies available on CD. Simply call or write to us or stop by our website. You can reach us by phone at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or stop by our website, truthfortodayradio.org. As you contact us, please bear in mind that we do continue this radio broadcast here on this station through the generous support of Truth For Today sustainers, folks just like you. With your dollars, as you partner with us financially, we'll provide to you, as our way of saying thanks, a quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional. It's all available for you as you partner with us financially. For more information, give us a call. Our phone number, once again, is 855-833-9864. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Music.